So if you have your Bibles, we turn to the book of Exodus. We'll be in Exodus chapter 7. And uh, if you're joining us online, we're glad that you're with us this morning. We're going to continue our sermon series. We're talking about the war, the war for worship. The war for worship is uh, really what Exodus is all about. God wanted to call his people out so that they could uh, not just worship in the wilderness, but ultimately find their way to the promised land and worship the Lord their God as he intended. So, uh, of course, Pharaoh is in opposition to that. We've been working our way through the book of Exodus, and uh, I am glad that you guys are able to see this testimony this morning of Lincoln following the Lord and believers' baptism. And uh, if you're born again, by the way, just a little commercial for baptism, if you are already born again but you've never been scripturally baptized, uh, we will do this again. Uh, next month, every month, we schedule baptisms, and um, we'd do it every week if we if we needed to. That'd be even better. But uh, we do it once a month right now, and so uh, just get with me or one of the ABF pastors, and we will get you uh, connected and directed, and we'll make sure that uh, you get that taken care of. If that is your next right step to be in the Lord's will. Um, and so this morning, as we're in the book of Exodus chapter 7, um, <clears throat> you'll remember, uh, and by the way, if you don't have a a Bible, uh, you can grab one from the seat rack in front of you. Uh, I know maybe you're a guest or maybe some, for some reason you don't have a Bible. Um, then you grab one from the seat rack in front of you, turn to page 91. That's the page we're going to be on this morning. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, or even if you do, if you want that Bible, you can take it home with you. That's a gift from us to you. Uh, we create those right here at HBF uh, in what we call affectionately the armory out out here down the, the road. And uh, man, appreciate everybody that came out yesterday yesterday as well. To work on the Word of God. So they're working out there uh, almost every week. Uh, I think Thursdays is the main day, and then also on Saturdays a few times a month. So if you want to see that schedule, uh, just a little commercial for Word First, you can go to the wordfirstpublishing.org website. You can find a link on our website as well to that. And, that, and Randy's posted a calendar of work days, so you can find those work days if you want to jump in on that. They'll get you connected and directed on that. But those Bibles are there for you. And, uh, and, you know, part of the war for worship is the word of God itself. And God had given Moses and Aaron these words, right, to deliver to Pharaoh. And the word of God is, is really what was ordering the command, the charge given to Moses and Aaron to get the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And it boils right down to this. Who's going to believe and obey the word of God and who is not? And, of course, Pharaoh didn't believe that, that uh, the word of God was coming forth through Moses. He didn't have any uh, compunction to believe or obey the word of God, and God knew that. And so we see that Moses and Aaron, are they're entering this season of continual conflict, right? It's a continuation of conflict that, that uh, will not stop until we get through the, the uh, ten plagues and end at the Passover. And ultimately, you guys know the story, how uh, Pharaoh and his armies, or his army, should get, gets swallowed up in the Red Sea. And finally, the conflict is resolved. Uh, but right now it's a season of, of tension, right? A continual conflict. And I think many of you can, you know, de- you know, you can identify with that as you think about maybe, uh, you know, personal conflict. Maybe you're in a situation where you're unequally yoked. Maybe somebody at work or maybe even in a marital relationship is, is not really on board with God's word and God's command and in worship. And frankly, sacrificing our life, giving our life over to God, um, is a living sacrifice. And so there's that conflict. That tension under the best circumstances, um, and maybe it's at work or maybe it's at school. You know, there's all kinds of environments where today's world where uh, believing the Bible and believing that Jesus Christ is God puts you in conflict, right, with the powers that be even at times. 
And so it's important that we kind of understand what's going on here and also come away with some things, some action items that we really need to be doing, some practical things that we can do. And one of the most important things that, that we can do is understand our identity. And we talked about that two weeks ago, uh, but you guys have slept since then. We've had a marriage conference. We had a great message last week. So what I want to do is just just review what we've seen, and then we'll jump into this second of three points in this section in Exodus chapter 7, 1 through uh, 7. Actually, we're going to end up through verse 13 uh, next week. But if you would, let's just stand in honor of God's word. Let's read verses 1 through 7. Um, <clears throat> Exodus chapter 7, 1 through 7. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. And Moses was fourscore years old, and Aaron fourscore and three years old, when they spake unto Pharaoh. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to uh, just review and remember what we covered a couple weeks ago as we saw that overview on our identity. Lord, we now look at this text once again this, with fresh eyes. And this morning we pray, God, that you would open under our eyes understanding. Lord, help help us see your, your word and your will for our lives today. Help put handles on some of these Old Testament truths that can that we can live out even today as many of us are even in a continual conflict with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that you'd quicken our understanding and encourage us in our hearts and our spirit. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the evidence of your salvation in us through Jesus Christ. Thank you for this baptism that we saw this morning. We pray for our little brother, Lord, that you grow him in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray today that your word would go forth with power. And, Lord, that you would continue to give us that love and sound mind that you promised to us. Lord, may we give our lives to you. In continual worship, we thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. And you, be, you may be seated. So, uh, as we go through a little review, the first last a couple of weeks ago, I went through all uh, thirteen verses up through verse thirteen, and we kind of just did a flyover. And I pointed out uh, a really important aspect of this entire passage because in chapter six, you'll remember that that God was not sympathetic to Moses or for, or Egypt or I'm, I'm sorry, Israel rather. Uh, in all that bondage, it's like God was just ignoring them. You know, Moses is like, hey, I'm getting rejected here. Even your people are rejecting me. Uh, the people were in such hard bondage. God records it in his word that they couldn't even they couldn't even function in a way to obey the word of God. And it almost seemed like God didn't care. But God did care, obviously. And God just continued with his promises. God doubled down on Moses uh, and just says, Moses, just do what I told you to do. I'm not going to argue about it. Go. As a matter of fact, he charged him, and I pointed out that Moses was charged like an officer because, well, he was. He was in a military uh, situation at this point. God is transitioning this this nation of Hebrew slaves into an army. And whether they knew it or not, they were going through boot camp, right? Everyone knows that boot camp's hard, and it's short. And it won't be too long before they'll be free 
uh, from the influence of the plagues. They'll be free from the influence of, of Pharaoh and his and his and the, and the judgment that falls upon him. And it won't be long before God is delivering them. But at that time, it didn't seem like it. And there are times in our lives where we just have to trust what God says, even over how we feel and over our circumstances. And there's times all we can do is just cry out to God and know that God hears us. You know, even Jesus, he experienced that, didn't he? Right. The Bible tells us that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. It's like, wait a minute, if Jesus is God and he never disobeyed, why would he need to learn obedience? That's a good question. Because God never did anything wrong. Jesus never sinned. But he did put himself at odds with his own nature, which is becoming sin for us. Right? I mean, he was totally just. He was justified, he was justified in anything he said or did. And yet, the father said, well, son, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go ahead and become the Passover lamb. And, uh, of course, Jesus is like, sir, yes, sir, whatever you need me to do. But it wasn't easy. Right? He bled, he sweated blood in the garden. I mean, it was intense for him to obey and go against his very nature and to die on the cross and have all the weight of our sin, both past, present, future, placed upon him and the wrath of God to be poured out upon him. And, I mean, that's intense. And he did that obediently. He learned obedience because becoming a man for God meant suffering for our sin. And man, that's not easy. And so uh, Jesus, he gave us that example of obedience. And now he puts Israel in a situation. Also, we know in Exodus chapter four called his son and they're suffering, but God's going to deliver them. And one of the things that's important when you're going through suffering is remembering your identity. So a couple of weeks ago, we looked at that. There were a few things that we noticed about their identity. Number one, we got to embrace our identity, our identity, I'm sorry, as an officer, right? He charged Moses as an officer. I'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. But also as a soldier, right? There's a certain aspect in the New Testament. We talked about how we are like soldiers. We literally return at the second, second coming of Christ as soldiers. Yeah, we're priests, we're kings. Uh, we, we're, we're coming back as rulers with Christ, as we reign with Christ. And then we talked about our current station even today as ambassadors, very much what, what Moses and Aaron were. They were ambassadors to, to Pharaoh. They were there uh, to say, hey, Pharaoh, here are the terms of God's deal. This is what we are offering. And, of course, Pharaoh is like, I'm not buying. And so we're into this continual conflict, this continuation of this conflict. So that's where we've been. This morning is the next step in this. Okay, so what are we going to do with this information that we have? Once we understand our identity, right, we, that identity comes in with authority. And we left off our last message talking about that. Your life is the only Bible some people read, right? God told him in verse 1 that, Moses, you're going to be a God to Pharaoh. You're the only... I, I'm done with this guy. The only Bible he's getting now is you. That probably tells me that God had, all probably, uh, God had already been probably pricking the heart of, of Pharaoh before Moses ever came along. Pharaoh, in his heart, probably knew that he was doing wrong. I don't know if he did or not, but he certainly, God was not going to give him any more opportunity to hear from him unless he listened to Moses and Aaron. If he didn't listen to Moses and Aaron, then he wasn't going to get any more Bible. 
Beloved, we're in an increasingly dark world, and it's, it's, it's the reality that you and I may be the only Bible some people hear. And Christians in their mind today are, are, are kind of in a, a victim mentality, like, oh, what was us? What was us? You know, the whole world's against us. <laughs> yeah, it's been that way for 2,000 years, so wake up. What's that got to do with anything? We got to go forward in faith and we got to do what God's commanded us to do. We got to receive that charge like a good soldier, right? Do soldiers whine? No. They endure, they endure hardness. Well, they made today, you know, if they don't have their, if that guy don't have his skirt pressed right. I mean, I'm sorry. So, uh, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Biblically speaking, soldiers don't whine, right? They endure hardness as a good soldier, right? So you go forward in faith. So let's look at point number two, which is, your point on your outline today as we start off. we got third point next week. What we got to do as we're facing continual conflict, in addition to embracing our identity, remembering who we are in Christ, is we got to execute uh, our responsibility. Execute your responsibility. Facing continual conflict requires us to execute our responsibility. Now, and we see that in verses 2 and five, through 5. I'm not going to reread that right now. We'll touch on that as we go. But in verse 2... It does say, thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh that he send the children of Israel out of the land. Now, point A here is we need to execute, uh, or you, we, I, you, we need to execute your responsibility uh, to speak God's message obediently. All right, execute your responsibility to speak God's message obediently. Now, you're like, well, yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah, it is. But do we do that? Right? Even when it's difficult, Moses has to do this. He has to press into this and he still has to appear before Pharaoh already knowing God's told him he's not going to receive that. But I need you to go and I need you to I need you to speak anyway. Speak unto Pharaoh that he send the children of Israel out of his land. So we learned a couple weeks ago that understanding our identity empowers us to execute our responsibility. We saw our need to understand our identity as a son, a soldier, an ambassador. And notice God tells Moses that he shall speak all that God has commanded thee. And by way of remembrance, God gave Moses and Aaron that charge in Exodus 6.13, where he, he gave them the charge, and he, and he gave them a charge unto the children of Israel and unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel, the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So this was something that God had given in a charge, just like you would do with a, like Paul did to Timothy, like a, a, mil, a military commander would do to a subordinate. This is a charge. This is something you are charged to do. You are to carry. You are to be responsible for. Moses, Aaron, you have to go forth now and do this. And of course, there we have seen that they did that faithfully. Uh, at the conclusion of the plagues, after Moses and Aaron were successful in charging Pharaoh, God institutes the Passover. As part of the remembrance and the knowledge that Israel emerged as armies as they ascended out of Egypt. In Exodus 12 and verse 17, uh, it says, And ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by ordinance forever. So we are to be faithful to speak God's commands. Now, we all here, I think most of us understand what that means. If, if I was going to throw out, say, what verse would you think of that we are given that gives us a charge to go forth and preach to all nations and teach them all things whatsoever God has said to all of us, right? You would probably come up with Matthew chapter 28, right? God has all power. 
Go ye therefore and teach all nations, teaching them all things whatsoever I've said unto you, right? So the gospel and the charge that we're given is, is contained therein. Many of us know that. But we are to go with the gospel, with the counsel of God's word, to make disciples of all nations. Those who get saved, they join the, the gospel army. They're born again. They're in the family of God. And as they grow as disciples, they're transformed, they're trained not only to uh, you know understand their identity, but ultimately to carry forth that charge that God has given us. It's imperative that what we do in the church is raise up, yes, children. We have a, a vibrant children's ministry, so we're all about investing in our children. But ultimately what we're really investing in is adults, because children grow up and become adults. And they need to adult when they become adults. They need to carry the charge that's been given to us. The most important thing we can do is disciple whether they're uh, children, not just physical children, but spiritual children, when people are born again, they're like a child. If you're here like on Wednesday night, I was talking about how how childlike I was when I got saved. Like I literally didn't know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mean, I, I had to figure that out. Like, oh, okay, that's before Jesus. This is after Jesus. You know, forget seven dispensations. I had no idea. I was like, like oh, okay, I get that. You just start off with basic understanding of God's mind, his, his word, the Bible. And the more you understand, then the more you can apply. And the more you can apply, the more you can grow. The more you know, the more you can grow if you apply the word of God. It's not just enough to know the word of God because knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies. So the Bible tries our heart. The more we know it, the more we have to reckon with what we understand about who God is and who that is in me and what that makes me need to do and how I need to respond to life in general. And and so there's so much to growing in Christ. It's all about being in the word of God, led by the spirit of God and being connected to the local New Church, New Testament church of God. And when you disconnect any one of those parts, you become, well, dysfunctional. You're not functioning properly in God's will. That might offend somebody today, but it's the truth. That's why I'm telling you the truth, because I love you. And I see it all over the place, especially in America. Everybody can be a Christian, right? But so many people forsake the word of God, the local New Testament church, and they certainly are not led by the Holy Ghost. They may say they are, but the Bible bears out that, no, if you don't obey my commands, you don't love me. Right? The Bible's very clear. And so those three things are just kind of there in a world that's kind of gone crazy, maybe, and people don't know where they land. But it's pretty easy for us, just like Israel. They were able to keep their family together in the midst of all that oppression, in the midst of all of that difficulty. Their family unit was intact. They knew who their tribes were. They knew what the order was. They knew who the elders were in the midst of all of that. They kept it together and that successfully led them out of captivity. If you know much about modern American history, African-American families have been destroyed in the last, what, 60 years? Used to be the, the, the divorce rate among African-Americans in America was lower than Caucasians. Something's gone wrong. The family unit's been torn apart. And it hurts any group of people, right? When your family gets torn apart, it becomes dysfunctional. And, of course, now... Uh, in America, m- many families are just, it doesn't matter, right? We're indiscriminate. There's no, there's no, uh, it's not an issue of race. It's, you know, everyone is suffering from a lack of understanding who God is 
and how he has ordered the family. Because there's opposition. And it's a continual conflict. And so somebody's got to go, wait a minute. Let's get back to discipleship. Let's get back to understanding who God is, who we are, what God has given us. And most importantly, what we're supposed to do with that. And that is to execute on our responsibility. We're to make disciples, for goodness sake, in our homes, in our churches. And we're not to be ashamed of that. That's exactly who God has called us to be. He's actually charged us to do this. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, Paul, speaking to Timothy, who he charges in, chapter, in the second Timothy, in chapter 4 and verse 11, he says, Hey, listen, Timothy, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. This is, these are the things you need to command and teach. Command and teach. Command and teach. Commanding. Are you kidding me? Are you commanding? Yeah, command. Did you know that, parents? You have an ability to command and teach. You know what comes with commanding is authority. Authority. I was just watching some clips of LeBron James. Shaquille O'Neal was kind of mocking him a little bit. All these things that LeBron James does, which are basically walking, traveling, just doing whatever he wants, sitting outside on the court when he feels like it. What, what is that? Because he's not under authority. King James has become the authority, and he kind of does what he wants to do on the court. So they got these whole reels of King James doing not King James Bible. King James, LeBron James, just acting like the king of the NBA, man. When he wants to do what he wants to do, he just does it. Why? Because he's he thinks he's the king. Now, we know in the book of Judges, one of the symptoms of a dysfunctional group of people that are at this point being delivered, fast forward the tape, after this great deliverance, after, you know, that 400 years they wait to be delivered, they get delivered, and then you go into the book of Judges, and all of a sudden everybody's their own king. Everybody does that which is right in their own eyes. And the Bible says there's no king in Israel. Everybody wants to be their own king. You see, beloved, the difference between us and the world is we're not just doing what we want to do. The difference between Moses and Pharaoh is Moses wasn't just doing what he wanted to do. Moses was doing what the God of heaven told him to do. Pharaoh was doing what he wanted to do. He believed he was God. That's what his pagan gods told him. So he he was bought in to uh, to to multiple gods and anything he wanted to do uh, was what was okay with him because he was the king. And God intercedes and says, wait a minute, Pharaoh. I got a man here and I got a prophet. His name's Aaron. He's a priest. And you're going to listen to what they command and teach, whether you like it or not. Boy, isn't that abrasive? Isn't that so narrow? That preaching, man, it's like a monologue. I mean, it's not even a dialogue. I mean, you're not even giving people opportunity to have input. Right. Because God has a message and he needs a herald. And there's times when God opens the door and the herald has to speak, whether people like to hear it or not. And that's totally abrasive today. Because we don't acknowledge the authority of the king. Now, I say we. You're all in the amen choir, I'm sure. But you get what I'm saying. That's why there's continual conflict. So let's finish our Old Testament picture like Bob Ross and see how this comes out for practical application. It's no accident that God... Isn't that really cool, Bob Ross? I hear a guy with something else. Uh, it's no accident that God gave uh, this charge to Moses and Aaron. God, ge- God uh, gave Moses the law, and Aaron would institute the priesthood as outlined by the law. 
The keeping, the keeping of the law would establish the order of God's kingdom in Israel and thereby serve as the constitution for the kingdom of heaven, that physical kingdom that God promised to establish through Israel. So as the law is given on Sinai, God has developed his troops through the rigors of bondage and the discipline of obeying God in the wilderness of sin, which we haven't gotten to that yet, but that's what will happen. So God then allows them to defeat the giants in the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. And so we already covered this a couple of weeks ago, but by just to remind you, Joshua is the same name as Jesus. So the picture is perfect, as is God's word. So before they enter the promised land, God commanded the process for practically, uh, for, uh, for practically preparing troops for battle in Deuteronomy chapter 20. In this chapter, he gives instruction to the priest to speak to the troops and encourage their hearts. So just flip over a few, uh, a few books to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 20. Deuteronomy chapter 20. This is too voluminous to put on the screen. So Deuteronomy chapter 20. You have to actually look in the Bible this morning. I want you to see what's going on here. God is, is, is using this process to help prepare troops. In Deuteronomy chapter 20... This is a this is the second giving of the law before they go into the promised land and defeat those giants. And God says this, when thou goest out to battle against thine enemies and seest horses and chariots and people more than thou, be not afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be when ye come nigh into the battle that the here, look at this, the priest shall approach and speak unto the people. You see, the reason God gave Moses and Aaron a charge is because they had a role in leading the people into battle. The conflict with Pharaoh was just the first. Eventually, they're going to go into the promised land and face giants. And it's interesting the way God ordered his people. When they went into battle, they brought the priests out. And the priest was the one in verse 2 that charged the people and prepared them for battle. And he even gives them the words that they should say. In verse 3, he says, And ye shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. When God has already said these enemies are mighty, they're, they're bigger, they're stronger, right? Let not your hearts faint. Fear not and do not tremble. Neither be ye terrified because of them. Paul said we have not the spirit of fear, right? God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. There needs to be men that, that stand in God's place in the home and in society that tell God's people the truth. Fear not. Because God is with you in a time where anxiety and fear is through the roof. The reality is that we rest in the promises of God in the midst of continual conflict. He goes on to say, for the Lord, your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. And of course, in the New Testament, we're already saved. So we're on victory lane. Verse five. And the officers shall speak unto the people, saying, what man is there that hath built a new house? And hath not dedicated it. Let him go and return unto his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. Hey, you're in the middle of a house project. Go on home. He's thin in the ranks. The priest goes on to say, and, and when a man, and, and what man is he that hath planted a vineyard and hath not yet eaten it? Let him go and return unto his house, lest he die in the battle and another man eat of it. Go home and take care of your new farm. Verse seven. And what man is there that, that hath betrothed the wife and hath not taken her? Let him go and return into his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man take her. Okay, go home and, and, and marry that bride. 
And the officers shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return unto his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. You know what's really important here? The reason that God brought the priest in is because he needs to make sure their hearts are right. And he's actually thinning the herds. He's actually saying, look, if you're not really ready to die, you don't need to go into battle. We need men that are prepared to give everything for the cause that God's called them into. Trusting that God's enough. And by the way, following God does not mean you won't die. Being obedient to God does not mean you won't lose your life. It just means that you're doing what God called you to do. So, hey, if you're if you're all twisted up about that, then go back home. And so he was like 180 degrees opposite of what most people could even realize or think about. Why? Because these men were, were prepared to give their life for what God was advancing. And verse nine says, and it shall be when the when the officers have made an end of speaking unto the people that they shall make captains of the armies to lead the people. Now, we've seen that God already in Exodus, the first time armies is mentioned, is, is in regard to God's promise to draw Israel out as armies. And these men that are able to stand in the gap, these men who are able to go forth, then, then, then the leaders would understand that they would say, look, OK, these are the captains. These are the guys that are going to lead them in the battle. The priests not only encouraged the troops to enter into battle, but they mandated their home to be in order before they mobilize for war. We just selected deacons. You'll be learning about that here in the next few weeks and, and who, who is going to be your deacons. One of the qualifications for, uh, for myself or for a pastor in our church or for a deacon, right? You cannot be an officer if you don't have the home in order. The home needs to be in order. He's like, go back and tend to the home. If you, if you need your, your wife, your field, uh, you know, if there's something that's not right, if you don't have the courage to go into battle, don't go. But what we really need is men to put their homes in order. First, to do that, you've got to be there, right? That means if you make a baby, you need to take care of it. And, and by the way, just if you identify as a man because your biology is male, then you're male. <laughs> so let's just start there. And you got to take care of the baby that, that you make. Right? And, and, you, and you take care of the business that God has given you. You take care of your responsibilities. Now, I understand there's all kinds of extenuating circumstances today. And that's why before you ever get there, you need to honor God and honor his word so that you put yourself in a position... To be used of God. The, the devil's man, he is he is out to destroy the family because he wants to destroy the church. You think the devil the devil in all the geopolitical this and that, you know, Americans we oh China's evil, Russia's evil. Hey, listen. God the devil's evil. He runs them all, including this one. And if you really want to know who the devil wants to target, it's it's y'all. It's y'all that believe the Bible. That's what it's about. There's more I'd like to say about that, but you can read chapter 20, verses 5 through 12, and, and you can see that 
that he even gives them an opportunity as they go forth into the battle to, to give terms of peace unto those that they go to attack. Well, we'll go ahead and look at it. verse 10. He goes, when, when thou comest nigh unto a city to fight against it, then proclaim unto it, and it shall be, if it make thee an answer of peace, open, uh, <clears throat> open unto thee, then it shall be that all, pe- uh, that all the people that is found therein shall be tributaries unto thee, and they shall serve thee. And if it will make no peace with thee, but will uh, make war against thee, then thou shalt besiege it. And when the Lord thy God hath delivered it into thine hands, thou shalt smite every male thereof with the edge of the sword. But the women and the little ones and the cattle and all that are in the city, even all the spoil thereof, shalt thou take unto thyself, and thou shalt eat it and the spoil of the, the enemies which the Lord thy God hath given thee. Thus shalt thou do unto all the cities which are very far off from thee, which are not of the cities of these nations. And so he goes in and he, he gives them the parameters for how to defeat their enemies. And one of the things he says is, hey, look, if they offer peace, then, hey, that's fine. Bring them on in to the kingdom. And, beloved, that's really where we're at right now to make this practical. God was setting a pattern for Israel's success militarily. And, of course, we as a church, let me make this clear in case anybody out there misunderstands me. We are not to fight physical battles in the sense that, I mean, if you as a citizen of the United States do, that's fine. But as a church, our, our only mission is to preach the gospel, the gospel of peace. Our only, our only mission here is to present the fact that Jesus Christ lived, he died, he rose again the third day according to the scripture. He's alive right now. He is the rightful heir. And right now, right now is a time of peace. And so we go forth and we offer that peace to everybody who will receive it. Because God is loving and he is gracious and he wants to make peace. But the deal is, you do have to bow your knee and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I I know I had to do that. I did that March 25th, 1987. Man, it changed my life. He brought me onto his team. He turned me from an enemy to a son. And he gave me a completely new identity with a charge to go forth and preach to others also. And that's what he does to everyone that gets saved. And we know that there's a time coming, a time coming after the Daniel 70th week when we return with Christ and he will finally put down all those who stand against him, literally. And he will rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth. And we'll be part of that as well. And so it all starts with understanding your identity, understanding this picture. In First John 3, 1 and verse 3, we saw that it doth not appear what we shall be. We already looked at that a couple of weeks ago. But God introduced them in Exodus 6.26 as armies. And God prophesied they would be armies in Exodus 7.4. And God delivers them, just as he said he would, in Exodus 12.17 and Exodus 12.51 as armies. Now, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but when we see him, we're going to be like him. We are called the bride of Christ. And at Jesus' return in Revelation 19, 19, we'll come with him. And we will see that power that's prophesied in Joel chapter 2. So what does that have to do with us here today at HBF? Well, every quarter, we come in here and we take the Lord's Supper. And every church can do that as often as they do it, the Bible says. So there's liberty there. We do it every quarter here at Heartland. And what we're doing is we're remembering that deliverance that came through Jesus Christ. Because he is our Passover. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 calls him that. He is our Passover, verse 7. And we all together realize and remember that, you know what, we've been delivered from the bondage of sin because that lamb died on the cross and delivered us and the death angel has passed over us. 
And now we're unified together. That's why we come together and we remember what the Lord did. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again and we're free. What are we free to do right now? We're free to carry this charge as God commanded us. To go forth and and make peace with everybody who will make peace. Because we know and we recognize and we understand that God isn't willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He doesn't want to see people uh, separated from him. He doesn't want to see people deceived and go into eternal uh, eternity without a relationship with him. God is a God of love. He's a God of grace. And so when we come together, we remember that, you know what, we're sharing in that love, but that love needs to be shared with the world. And so if we don't sincerely care about our enemies, then we're going to have a hard time sharing the love of Christ. And that's the hard part today in the church. You've got to care enough to share. I mean, you've got to care about people that don't like you. You've got, to, you've got to care about people that have been brought up to despise you. But coming from somebody who was lost, myself, and man, I was on the wrong side of every issue, I guarantee you. I look narrowly upon Christians, myself. But it's the love of God, right? It's God's grace and his goodness. You can't help but respect people who love God when you're lost. I'm talking about a saved person. When you're lost... And some person walks in your world, and they're walking with God. You may not want to be around them. You may despise them. You may make fun of them. But when you go home and you walk away from that in your heart, you know, I just touched up against something that I really wish I had. It's called virtue in the Bible. There's a power that comes with following Christ. And many of you don't even realize it, especially some of you grew up in church. You know, you see all these these kids that grow up in church. They want to go out in the world and fit in and all that. Man, you don't even know what you're talking about. There ain't no fitting in in the world. That world's just going to abuse you and use you. It's a joke. You don't, there's nothing in the world that you need. God's going to give it all to you in Christ. <clears throat> so get your life in order. Get your marriage in order. Get your family in order. So you can accomplish God's mission and God's power for God's glory. That's not a suggestion. That's a command. That's what God needs us to do. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, it says in verse 6 of chapter 7. Can you say that? Moses and Aaron, what's your name? Put it in the blank. Did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. Now this text in verses 1 through 7 is really kind of given an overview of all of of, uh, the plagues going up to to the Passover. They did everything God asked them to do up to that point, really all the way through. Uh, with a few exceptions. But point B, we need to execute our responsibility to see, so we can see God's redemption. This is really about the good news, not the bad news. Exodus 7, 2, at the end of verse 2, he says that he sent the children of Israel out of his land. Ultimately, this is a story about redemption and salvation of God's people. God had a plan and has a plan for the universe. He has a plan for this earth and he has a plan for our lives. God chose to use Moses and Aaron to deliver Israel. You know, God could have raptured Israel out, popped them in the, in the promised land. He could have just pulled them up, popped them over there, <clears throat> brought some fire down in Egypt and called it good. If he wanted to, he can do whatever he wants. But he chose not to. He chose to use these human instruments, these, these ambassadors, these slaves, and he wanted to go through the process. Why did he want to do that? Because he's a God of redemption. He is painting a picture. He's telling a story, and he's showing us things that we need to know. God desires repentance even though he doesn't receive it. God is not a respecter of persons when it comes to salvation. 
God wanted to see this redemption, obviously, for the children of Israel. But it wasn't just the children of Israel. I believe God was giving everyone in Egypt every opportunity to receive his grace before he brought the hammer down. Because God's just a good God that way. In Romans chapter 10 in the New Testament, this is what Paul said, speaking of of the gospel. He's actually doing this in the context of Israel, going back to chapter uh, chapter 9, 10, then you go through 11. He's dealing with the place of Israel and their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says in Romans 10 and verse 11, he goes, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. It doesn't, it's not specific. It's whosoever. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall, how shall they uh, then call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they uh, believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? You see, God knew that Pharaoh would not believe his report. But you know what he did? He gave him opportunity anyway. God is not willing that any should perish, as I've already mentioned, Second Peter 3, 9. Exodus 7, 5 makes it clear that the Egyptians will learn that, that Israel serves the Lord, the one true God. And he delivers Israel out of the land of Egypt. He makes them understand that this God... Yah, Jehovah, right, as we've seen, the Lord is the Lord of heaven. He is delivering this people from the bondage of, of, of Pharaoh. One of the most powerful evidences of Jesus Christ's power is the changed life, delivered from the bondage of sin. Even if the lost doesn't believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus, they are responsible for the evidence of the resurrection that's manifest through our changed lives. Because we may be that only Bible that they get to see. We, what, what a shame it would be if we didn't open our mouth and tell them why our life was changed. We know that there are Egyptians <clears throat> who followed Israel into the wilderness. Not every Egyptian was judged as harshly as the others. Some followed the children of Israel, and God made a way for them to escape. Just like Rahab later on, God always has this, this thread of grace that goes through, and those that will believe him by faith, Ruth is another. You can go through the Bible, you can see ex- example after example. In Exodus chapter 12 at the Passover, at the Exodus, it says, And when the strangers shall sojourn with thee and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as one that is born in the land. God made a way for strangers. You know, it's possible that when you walk into a church and you hear a message like this, this is so foreign to you. It's so weird, man. Just like when I got saved. So different. You feel like a foreigner. You feel like a stranger. But I just want you to know you're welcome and you're wanted. God loves you. And he wants to bring you into the family. All you got to do is partake of the bread of life. And that bread of life is the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord is saved. He'll take everybody that will receive him. It is a good news message. (laughs) It is all about redemption. Even in the Old Testament, God was willing to take strangers. He's willing to take enemies. And as long as they would circumcise uh, their child, and they would get circumcised and obey the law of Moses. They were willing and they were welcome and wanted to come on in and get grafted into the promises that God had for the children of Israel. And God is so good. It's a story of redemption. 
In Exodus 22 and verse 21, the Bible says, Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. God gives a warning to the children of Israel. Hey, when, you, when, you're, when you're on cloud nine and you're, you're rolling through life now and you're large and in charge, don't forget. Don't forget to treat the oppressed well because you were oppressed. Don't get smug. Oh, well, I'm saved. Hey, but you were a sinner. You were a sinner. Don't forget where you came from. Now, don't get caught up in that identity. That's not who you are, but you know what? That's who you were before Jesus met you. One of the reasons we preach the gospel, even to people who oppose Jesus, is because we remember. We used to oppose him too. Anybody got that testimony? Amen. Yeah, many of us. It's not a fun testimony to remember, but when when you were literally anti-Christ. I never railed against Jesus personally. I wasn't that stupid. But I did his people. I just didn't like them in my heart. You know why? Because I was in darkness and they were light. Man, I know what it's like to be Pharaoh. And, and Moses and Aaron, would not, if they would not have answered the call, they would have never seen God redeem Israel. <clears throat> this was a charge. God wasn't going to give them any slack. They had to redeem. They had to get the business done. As a matter of fact, that is the position of many of the Jews today. Those who should be preaching the gospel, right? The nation of Israel, Jesus came to his own. They received you not. They were the ones that were supposed to be carrying this message. And when we talk about redemption, man, ironically, as Paul says, the casting away of them becomes the redemption of the bride of Christ. And here we are. Many, I don't know if there's any Jews in the house, but if, man, it was initially God intended the nation of Israel to take this message to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, if they would have just received it, but they didn't. And so now God calls all, right? The, the mystery of the church is, is in full force, and it won't be long before we're caught up and God turns his attention back to his son Israel. But for the last 2,000 years, God has been using good old lost Gentiles like myself or you who get saved and get indwelled with the Spirit of God or given a book and, been, and, and then brought into the church of the living God to get the gospel where it needs to go on time, to bring terms of peace before God's judgment falls. So we need to execute on our responsibility to see God's redemption. Lastly, we need to execute on our responsibility to see God's judgment. I say this for last because you might be saying, well, wait a minute, Brian. You're leaving out something very important here, and that's that's this Pharaoh ca- character. I mean, God hardened his heart. What are you going to do with that? I mean, you're talking about this loving Jesus, and God's so loving, and he wants everybody to be grafted in. So what's all this about him hardening the heart? I mean, look at verse 3. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. If God's so loving, well, why would he send Pharaoh to hell? I mean, you've heard that one before. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, he says, that, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people and the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. You see, Pharaoh, what about Pharaoh? What about his heart? Pharaoh stood guilty before God and before Moses 
and before Aaron. But he was still guilty before, I believe this, I believe Moses, uh, Pharaoh, he stood guilty before Moses was ever called. He was a guilty. <clears throat> God had had enough of him. We can't forget the innocent children murdered by the Egyptians in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 16. We also cannot forget that God was calling out his son, Israel, Exodus 4.23. And this man was getting in the way of him delivering his son. Do you want to get in the way of any man trying to deliver his son? You don't. If, 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 if there's a man in, trying to deliver his son, you, you really want to, you want to yield to that fellow because he's all about the business of delivering his son. God is going to deliver his son, Israel, as a nation. And Pharaoh is standing in the way of it. That's not good for Pharaoh. And God has already called a man named Moses. God has already made a determination this is going to happen. Because if it were possible for Pharaoh to let them go, I'm sure he would have already done it. He didn't need Moses and Aaron even. God would have a way of communicating with Pharaoh. He probably already had, knowing God. God is pronouncing Pharaoh's judgment when he tells Moses that he will harden Pharaoh's heart. In addition to God's mercy and even dealing with Pharaoh, I do want you to know this, that 50% of the time, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. I'll put a chart. Yeah, there's a chart on the screen there you can see. This is my little, my little chart I made. I went through and just studied it all out. And if I'm wrong, let me know. Maybe I am. I, this is what I came up with. I came up with four times that God hardened his heart and four times that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. God reserves the right to use the hardness of Pharaoh's heart for his purposes. Today, the hardness of man's foolish heart is on display through the perversion that is so pervasive in our society. When you know what to do and you don't do it, what's, what's the Bible say that is? Sin. It doesn't matter if you're lost or saved. When you know to do right and you don't do it, it is sin. When you violate the law of your own conscience, you are a sinner. And that is what one will stand in judgment for, ultimately because they haven't received the Savior. There's a Savior for every sinner, and he is Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. So God loves us, and he wants us to, to, to receive that grace and that goodness. But when we continue in sin, and we continue to rage against the machine, even when we pervert nature itself, God says, listen, there's a time. I'll just give you up to your own perversion. There's a time when God says, that's fine. If you just want to keep going on this path, I will let you destroy yourself. If you continue in that, that should be, that's scary. That's scary to me, and I'm born again. It scares me. I can't imagine what it was like to be lost again and to, to be in that, that, that moment of time when you realize that you could be utterly lost for all of eternity. God could leave you in this state if you don't cling to his grace and his mercy and his love, if you don't get a hold of this good news message. You could continue in sin and you could go off into eternity separated from God Almighty. Romans chapter 1 and verse 21 why? Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. It wasn't hardened. It was darkened. The lights were turned off. There was no light. And Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Professing themselves to be wise, they had all knowledge. They became fools. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. And to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. 
Wherefore God gave them up to the uncleanness, uncleanness through their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They ignore God's design. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat. God says, I just let them do what they needed to do because that is what they deserve. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of things that are uh, of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God... That they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. I mean, it just does not matter. It's all a joke. Everything is funny. Ha ha. And God says, no, I get the last laugh. Pharaoh, you think you're large and in charge. But this is going to go my way. The penalty of having a foolish and hard heart is getting the things you desire. I'll say that again. The penalty for having a foolish, hard, darkened heart is getting the things that you desire. God forbid. Many who want to bring judgment find themselves under the judgment of their own perversion. Those who want to be free from the love of God find themselves in bondage, trapped in sin. Moses wanted to be free from the authority of God Almighty, but he will find himself himself. In the bondage of the Red Sea. Drowning in the judgment of God. Notice God points out how he will multiply my signs and my wonders. We'll get into this more next week. But signs are given to validate the promises of God to the Jews. In 1 Corinthians one twenty-two, the Bible says, For the Jews require a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. We'll see in the next message how Satan provides signs and lying wonders to combat the veracity of God's signs. In Exodus 7, 8 through 13, this is important because all signs and wonders that God used to prove uh, to the Jews that he was sufficient to deliver Israel from the power of Pharaoh's pagan gods were also used as signs against the Egyptians that God delivered Israel out of their hand as a mighty army. He said in verse 5, Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. This is germane to our culture today because we are told that the coming Antichrist will rise with lying signs and wonders. And many hard-hearted, yet willingly ignorant, global citizens will be beguiled by signs and lying wonders. Second Thessalonians 2 and verse 3 says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for the day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. 
And now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. All power and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth. That they might be saved. For this cause God shall send them strong delusion and and that they should believe a lie. We have people get mad about this passage. I didn't say it. That's what God said. If you go against him long enough, he can give you a lie to believe. That they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Romans chapter 1. And that's a bummer, Brian. I mean, you're like bringing me down on Sunday and then we're going to have chili in a minute. I mean, come on. Hey, it's important to remember these things that God says about signs. He said in Luke chapter 11 that an evil generation seek a sign. Jesus came to his own. He presents all these signs. He raises people from the dead. He does only what he could do. Everyone that had a brain in their head said, this is Messiah. This is, our, this, is, this, is, this is him. But the leaders are like, no, no, no. Give us another sign. He says, I'll give you a sign. It's a sign of Jonas. And, of course, he was referencing his death, his burial, his resurrection. You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. I'll give you the sign of Jonas. You know... <clears throat> If, if, if a Jew or a Gentile doesn't understand that the only sign that really matters is that sign of Jonas, they miss the whole point. Beloved, we're coming up on a time when who knows what kind of signs and lying wonders are going to be displayed. But if you really want to know the truth, just stick with the sign of Jonas, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Stick with his book because what's coming next is going to beguile a lot of people. You may say, yeah, but, you know, Brian, after the resurrection, God allowed signs and wonders. I mean, Acts chapter 2 and verse 4 is Israel, as God reversed the curse of Nimrod, right? And, and, and now all those tongues that, that God, he really preserved the, the, the world through, through, you know, dividing up the languages. They all came back together in Jerusalem, and, and all of a sudden every man could hear in their own language. That's true, right? Cornelius and, and the Gentiles there in, in Acts chapter 10, they also spoke in other languages that were discernible by the Jews that were there and. All of a sudden, this miracle was given to them. Why? Because God was trying to tell Israel that Jesus is the Messiah. But by the time you get to the book of Acts, those sign gifts are gone. Why? Because Israel, as a nation, not as individuals, but as a nation, had rejected their Messiah in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. If I went to Jerusalem today and stood on the corner and preached that Jesus was the Messiah, I'd have about as good a time as Paul did. <clears throat> for those who say that, well, yeah, but you can't deny my experience. Hey, listen, I would just caution you, stick to the words of God. Stick to the words of God. God can do a lot of things. I'm not taking anything away from God, but ultimately what we're looking for is the, the, the faith that comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. By the time Paul write, writes 1 Timothy 5.23... He's encouraging medical care for Timothy and his ailing stomach. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul states clearly 
there that the gospel, not signs and wonders, are the power of God unto salvation. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. And, of course, in Romans 10, 17, he says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you really want to know what God said, uh, what God is doing, if you want to really know about his power and his love, his ability to deliver and redeem, man, you're going to find it right here. If you really want to know what judgment's coming, you don't need to, you know, eat too much pizza and have a dream about the future. Listen, beloved, there's enough right here to keep you up all night. I promise you. There's enough written right here about what's yet to come. This book, Jesus' testimony, is the spirit of prophecy. The prophecy has been preserved for us in the volume of a book. It's written of him. He is true. His word is true. Don't take it lightly. Because we've been commanded not only to give it, but we've been commanded to receive it. And the gospel, it's good news to those who receive it. And it's judgment to those who don't. Pharaoh is a picture of every hard-hearted sinner that rejects the truth and chooses to believe a lie. That Jesus is not the way, the truth, or the life. That there's some other path, or some other knowledge, or some other thing, some other way to heaven. Many of these believe that there's no judgment. That there's no good. Or that their good will outweigh their evil. And all of these are false. The truth is, we're all sinners before God. And that's why Jesus Christ came to this earth to die on the cross. Because God truly loves the world. He loved his enemies, of whom I was chief, and you were too. If you're his enemy today, he wants to reconcile you. He wants you to know him in a personal way. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14 says, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Oh, beloved man, I pray to God that we would go forth today understanding who we are in identity and we would execute faithfully the, the command that God has given us to preach the gospel of Christ and present peace terms to everybody that will hear and everybody who won't hear. Why? Because he's worthy. Because he said go. Because he says command and teach. He's not asking us. He's telling us. He's telling us. How are they going to hear though? Right? Don't forget the bondage that you came from. How smug, how smug is the church at times to sit back with their arms folded talking about them? Well, who were we before we met Christ? We were them. Don't forget the oppressed. Don't forget those in bondage because there's plenty of people, I promise you, in this world today, if they could just have a clear, simple presentation of the gospel, don't mix politics into it. Don't, who, don't mix all that geopolitical garbage into it because this is about a higher calling. This is about a king who came to this earth and died for them. And he loves them right where they're at. And he has paid for their sin and he wants them to reach out and receive the gift of eternal life. Man, it's our job to step over all the minutiae, all the garbage, all the stink. And deliver the grace of God right where they're at. Because God loves them. And he wants us to love them too. Enough to at least tell them the good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity.